are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Pashas Beshalach, Tov, Shin, Pei, Gimel. Coming up on Tubishvat, Sunday night and Monday. And a warm, warm welcome to our whole entire radio family, whether you'll be streaming live, whether you'll be listening on the radio. Hopefully that will be possible. And we're so glad to have you as part of our radio family. So glad for you to be opening up your hearts and your minds for a few minutes on a Friday afternoon to be inspired, to learn something, to grow, and to make your Shabbos a more special time. So one of the main issues in this week's Pasha is, of course, the gift of Mun that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us. And the Torah tells us, Moshe says to the Bnei Yisrael, No one can leave over from the Mun until until the morning. Now, Chazal Gwon Yuma teach that enormous amounts of Mun actually descended each day much more than the nation required for a day's sustenance. By midday, it was all gone, right? This was part of a heavenly lesson to the people. HaKadosh Baruch Hu provides for our daily needs, daily. Right? To worry about tomorrow is a shortcoming in our emuna and bitochen, in our faith and trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right, this is sort of the gold standard to which a yid has to aspire. The amount of hishtadlus kind of endeavors that one should expend is, of course, directly related with his level of trust in Hashem. Right? The Goin Mivilna did not go to doctors, understanding that Hashem is the ultimate healer. He knew that his physical ailment was a heavenly message concerning some spiritual deficiency that he had. Therefore, he introspected to see what he could improve on. Obviously, we're not on that kind of level, and therefore, we have to turn to medical science as the agent by which our Kaddish Baruch Hu heals all of our, of our sicknesses. At the end of the day, however, we know that everything, both illness and its cures, comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rav Leif Shleim was the absolute example of a Baal Every word that came from his mouth, every action that he took, represented his deep-rooted Betochen. At the age of 104, his doctor said to him, The Rav lives by, by nace, by miracle. In his calm manner, Rav Shlaim replied, You too live by miracle. He was once asked by someone who came to visit him, Rebbe, where do we see that, that Nisa miracles in our lives? Right? When the Jews left Mitzrayim, they could sense HaKadosh Baruch Hu in every aspect of their lives. The clouds of glory, the, the pillars of fire, the, the well of Miriam, wherever they, wherever they, they, they went. They all traveled with them and, and, you know, so many more things accompanied them. But today, how are we to sense miracles in our sort of realistic manner? Rashtayim replied, today too. We can experience miracles. The questioner sought a clear example of Akadosh Baruch Hu's intervention. It says the mere fact that one is able to marry off his daughter is a miracle. Rav Shlomo became filled with with emotion as he declared, "Look at the wondrous miracles of Akadosh Baruch Hu." He explained that if one were to ask what is the greatest manifestation of heavenly miracles in our generation, the answer would probably be the continued existence of Kaiser. Indeed, in his Siddur, the Yaivetz writes that Kaiser's survival in Golis is a miracle that supersedes even Kriyas Yamsuf. 
even the splitting of the Red Sea. And the Rav reiterated that the greatest miracle is the ability of a young Avreich who, ha- who has uh, material, you know, completely uh, 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 barely suffices to, to feed his own family, that he can marry off his daughter, that is a miracle. He added that the period in one's life in which a parent marries off his children is the 20 years between 40 and 60, which are symbolized by Mem in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew alphabet and Samach. Now the Gemara tells us that on, in the Luchas, the Luchas were legible from both sides, and therefore the Samach and the end Mem, which are completely a, a square, whatever was the middle piece had nothing to be connected to and stayed there completely by a miracle. It says those 20 years of a person's life Absolute miracle, even greater than Kriyas Yamsev. 101.9 Chai FM, soul to soul. We'll be back in a moment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is soul to soul. Back on your radio, Erev Shabbos, Kedesh Pashas, Beshalach, Top. Shin Gimel, and of course, this week we are talking about Kriyas Yamsuf. We are talking about the final exodus of the Jewish nation from under the boots, from under the subjugation to the Egyptian nation, which had its final scene at the crossing of the the Reed Sea, and of course, at that point, the uh, ultimate uh, demise and and destruction of of the Jewish the Jewish nation. It's a very fascinating. Rabbeinu Bachaya. Rabbeinu Bachaya, in his introduction to Parshas B'Shalach, writes that contrary to popular belief, Kriyas Yamsuf, the, the tearing asunder of the Yamsuf, did not happen all at once. It wasn't that there was this long sort of snaking road from one side of the Yamsuf to, to the other, which the Jews were able to, to, to cross, and the Egyptians were, were not. That it was, you know, this one sort of long path from beginning to end. Rather, the, the sea split little bit by bit, little bit. Because, so to speak, it was as if the, the sea was running away from, from the Jews as they approached, as they were coming closer to it, so then, they would, they would see in front of them, the, the vanguard of the Jews in front of them would see the sea right in front of them, and as they approached, only then did the sea, did the sea split. And that's in fact what, what David Melech says in Tehillim, in, in capital Kuf Yudal, it says, Hayom Ra, it was only when the source, when the sea saw them actually approaching Vayonas, only then did it flee. Right? Similarly, as, as we see by the, the man, which is described later in, in the, uh, in, in the Parsha, that, uh, the, the man only came down to them, right? Uh, it wasn't just once, uh, a month it came and you bought, you sort of got the, uh, 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 wholesale amount of man for a month or for two months or for a year. No. Every single day you had to go out and get your daily portion, portion of, of man. And we can sort of add on to this, that which the, uh, the Sfarna says on the Pasuk. The Pasuk says, Uvenei Yisrael, the Jewish nation, Halchu Bosha. They went across on the dry land. And it says, at the very same time that the Egyptians were drowning in the sea, the Jews were walking on the dry land because the sea did not go back to its original condition of being a a uh, a sea uh, sort of on that only on that end only where the Jews were you know where the Jews were there the sea split but let's say let's say the Jews covered only a quarter of the width. Of the, of the Yamsa from beginning to end. So right behind the last Jew, it already turned into sea. So while the Jews were still crossing the sea, the Egyptians were already, were already, uh, 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 drowning. Right? And the Ebenezer also says that. 
What's up, Bnei Yisrael? So the, he says the reason why again, because we already said Bnei Yisrael halchu b'sachayom by Abasha. They went and then it says again halchu by Abasha b'sachayom. Why does it repeat the same pasuk seemingly uh, 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 the same words? It says because Paro was drowning. And there was st- while there were still Yiddish people still crossing the Yam in front of him, he was already ready, he was already drowning. And that was an absolute, it was like a miracle, a wondrous event. With inside another wondrous event. Because in the very rare place where the Jews were passing on dry land through the sea, so, uh, uh came this, this, uh, east wind and, and dried it up. And where Paro and his army were coming just uh, maybe, you know, kilometer behind, whatever it was, behind them. So there HaKadosh Baruch brought another wind to, to sort of melt the water back to, to, to being, to being water. And, and, uh, and, and they, they, they drowned. So it, it, it seems clear that the sort of, the sort of, the speaks, the sea sort of surrounded from all four, from all four sides. And maybe we can give some clarity to this based on, on what it says in the Medrash, the al Shimoni uh, brings down that again, what does it mean by Amayim Lahem Choyma? That the wall was like, a, the water was like a wall for them. So he says, Liam, when Kaisal were going down into the sea, Yorad Gavriel Imoim. Gavriel went with them, the Kifam, and completely surrounded them. The Shamram, and he protected them and guarded them, Kachoyma, as if it was a wall. For your and he was announcing in, in the water, Liamin, right? Uh, he told the water that was to the right of the Jews, uh, uh, so. Be very careful. Be very, very careful at how you treat the Jews because they're, they're in the future. They're going to be going to, to Hasinai to accept the Torah from HaKadosh Baruch himself. And then when to the, the water to the left of the Jews, he would say to them, be very careful because they are going to eventually, not so eventually, uh, put on Tefillin on their, on their left on the left hand. They're going to receive the Torah from the right hand of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They're going to be putting on film on their left hand. So be be careful. Right? And the water that was in front of them, Gabriel said, be very careful with the Jews because in the future that they're going to, uh, 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 in front of them, they're going to uh, perform a bris, a bris milah. And the water was behind them. Again, he said, be very careful with these Jewish nations because they are going to uh, 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 show and they're going to, uh, the, the, the Kesha of the Tzvil and the Nal of the Tzvil is going to be visible behind behind them. And and they're, they're going to have their tzitzis behind them. So he warned all the water around the Jews to be very, very, very careful and very sensitive with them. So we see that the Malach Gabriel came down with Chrysler into the sea, surrounded them, and guarded them and protected them like like a wall from all four sides. And And therefore, now it seems... Justified. Now it makes sense to say what I mean. He kifam. He surrounded them, and that was uh, in order that to protect them from the water, right? From all four, all four sides. That chasasham. That the the water shouldn't come back and possibly deluge the 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 yidden. And that's why uh, Gabriel made these announcements to the water on all four on all four sides, you know, in front of them and in back of them. Also, be very very careful. Don't uh, uh, turn back to water too early and chasasham engulf any of of the Jews because uh, uh, this uh, again and that fits so beautifully. and and Ezra are are all saying that the water only split around the Jews and around them was completely water and, and, and therefore he was warning Malakabriel was warning the, the water to be careful about them. Now this perhaps we can connect this to what it says in in the in the pre Yehuda regarding the Malachim, Michoel and Gabriel and Raphael, who we know who revealed themselves to Avram Avinu. And the Medrash brings there 
that they came in, in different guises. It says uh, that uh, one, one came as looking as an Arab, one, one came as, as, a, as a sailor, and, and one came as a, as, a, as a merchant. And he explains that the Malach Michal, who is in charge of, uh, uh, basically, uh, brings to this world the Shefa of, of the creativity, of the ability to, to, to give birth and have children. So he, he appeared as an Arab, because by the Arabs, this is a, 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 uh, a, a very, very natural and very important part that, that they grow and they become a, a big nation as, as the Gemara brings down. And Gavriel, which is, uh, he's in charge of bringing to Elam Hazen the, the Shefa of Parnosa and, and wealth. So he appeared as a, uh, as, as a baker, as, 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 as a bread salesman. And Malach Raphael, who's in charge of bringing to, to this world the, the Shefa of, of life and, and, and salvation. So he showed up as a sailor because everybody knows that being at sea is one of the most dangerous occupations possible. And the Apostle says that they see huge miracles every day brought to you by Malach Rafal. And therefore it's appropriate that Gavriel should have been the one advocating for Kleisla and protecting them so that they'd be able to go forward and receive the hashba of HaKadosh Baruch Torah and of the of, of the month. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kodesh, Parshas, Bishalach. We are moving on. We spoke before in the last segment about Kriyas Yamsuf and how, what an amazing miracle it was for the Jews when they literally saw the water around them and were saved so now we move on to the next huge miracle of the Parsha, and that is, of course, the man, the special food that came down for the Jews in for the 40 years that they were in the desert. And when B'nai Yisrael, when they, when they left Mitzrayim, so the Torah told us that they took with them kind of cakes, and that supplied them. That was enough food for them for a full 30 days. They left uh, uh, on the 15th day of Nisan, the food they had with them uh, was sort of provided them with enough sustenance all the way until the 15th of year, a month later. And on Sunday, because Chazal say it was a Sunday, the 16th of year began the man to descend from, from Shemayim. In fact, that's what Rashi brings down in the Gemara in Kedushin Daf and the Gemara also in Tainus says that the Mon came down, as we said, in the merit of Moshe Rabbeinu. And therefore, how long did the Mon last? The Mon lasted until the day that Moshe Rabbeinu died. And then Moshe Rabbeinu died was the last day that the Mon, the Mon fell. Now, we know that the, the Holy Books say that Moshe Rabbeinu somehow was the, the middleman. He straddled between this world, the world down here, and the world of, of Shemaim. In fact, the, the Medrash says about Moshe Rabbeinu that he was called Ish Ha'elakim. Right? Uh, his, part of him was Ish. His sort of bottom half was man. And his top half was sort of, of such, such a thing could be said, was like, was godly. And therefore, uh, when we say that it was the schus, it was the merit of Moshe Rabbeinu that brought down the, the man, and the Chazal say about the man in, in Gemara Yuma, that it's called, uh, in Tehillim, Lechem Abirim. It's the bread of the, of the incredibly mighty ones. And, and the Gemara says, what does that mean? It's the bread, whatever that means. It's the bread that the Malachim uh, uh, eat it. You know, it's, obviously we understand that Malachim don't have 
any physical body and they don't need to sort of physical kind of sustenance and, and vitamins and, and minerals and all the things that we, that we, uh, that we need. Their, their food is completely, completely, uh, spiritual in, 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 in its basis. And that food was also that same food that was the spiritual food of the Malachim also served as the food of the, of the Jewish nation during the 40 years that they were in the, in the Midbar. And that's also, in fact, brought out by the Mishnah in, in Perkeovis, where the Mishnah explains that the man for which Kaisal ate in, in the desert, so it was one of the things that says that was created at the very, very end of the six days of creation on Erev Shabbos during the time of Ben Ashmashus. In other words, beginning between the end of Friday and the beginning of Shabbos. The Ben Ashmashus of Erev Shabbos, we know, is a is a, 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 a entity of time that creates a separation and a buffer between the six days of activity, of, of productivity, and between Shabbos Kodesh. Right? That during that time, there was absolutely no physical creation because we're already we're already gnashing from from Shabbos. There was nothing physical could be created then. Ben Ashmoshes is the time that sort of in between between the days of creation of of physicality of of this world between Shabbos, which is the day of completely of of the neshama. And therefore, that which was created during this time, right, is something that has also straddles these both words. It, it has a lot of spirituality. It, it hovers between the world of the spiritual and the world of, of, of the physical. And that was exactly what the man was. It's the, it's the, uh, it's, it's the food that uh, uh, they've been waiting. That's when we, I was waiting for Kaiso from the moment of creation until it came down in in the in the midbar in the midbar Sinai. Now, to try to understand this a little bit, the the Ariyakalish in in Lukutei Torah says as follows: that with this understanding, we can answer the following question. He asks, "How is it possible?" In, in a world where bread and, and food is so physical, how is it possible that in a physical world using physical food, how can that provide sustenance for the neshama, for the spirituality of, of a person? Which is kula ruchni. How can something physical sustain something that is completely, completely ruchni? And if a person would not eat bread or any other food, he would die of, of, uh, of hunger and, and uh, he would lose his, his neshama. And if he eats a kezayis of bread, then he lives. How is it possible, he says, that bread should be able to support the completely uh, a spiritual uh, neshama? And from the fact that we have such a strong kasha, so the, the, the philosophers want to, want to say that there the obviously is no reality to the neshama. It can't be. Because the neshama has no way of being sustained. We live in a physical world, we're eating physical food. How can the neshama, which is spiritual, be sustained? Therefore, their conclusion is that there is, there is no, no, no soul. Right? And just like the one would die, the other would die without, without physical good. When, when the person dies, Right, so he's going to lose his physical body, and he'll also lose the neshama, because since the neshama is being uh, sustained by what they say something completely physical, so the neshama must be a physical entity. The reality is, of course, this is absolutely false. This couldn't couldn't be true at all. Chas because they don't know what we know, what we what we've been talking about. And that is that there is a, a a an element of the physical foods that we eat, which is transcends the physical and enters and is comprised solely and totally 
of spirituality. And that is used to sustain and provide upkeep for that part of the spiritual spirituality of of, of a person. And that's what it says. Uh, 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 I'm, I'm going to feed you this man, this spiritual man. Why? As the Apostle says, Loidiacha, to make known to you. But that there's no such thing as being able to sustain a person. What is it that actually sustains a person? Not the physical elements of the food. It's actually the spirituality that's in the food. That is what sustains a person. And that's what Apostle says. Ki it's not just on, literally on bread alone that person lives. Ki al kol on whatever comes out of the word of Hashem, that's what people live on. In other words, whatever came from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, mouth, at the time of creation, which was that Hashem produced from the ground every single kind of plant and every single vegetation and every single food-producing item. So that dibur, that uh, command, right, uh, entered into that food item, and that is what actually sustains the person. And therefore, that's why we have to make brachas over over food. Because through the bracha, that's what gives the food its levitakat. That's what gives it its chiyas. That's what gives it its ability to actually to actually sustain us. Comes out, therefore, that food can be described, can be uh, 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 divided into two very distinct portions. Number one, the physical elements of the of the food which actually sustain one's body and the spiritual elements of the food that sustain a person's nisham a person's a person's soul and as is obvious as obvious the the spiritual portion right, is of course very 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 sensitive very very uh, 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 delicate and and the more that a person makes a bracha, and he makes a bracha with, with kavana and tremendous focus and concentration, he will merit that the spiritual uh, uh, sustenance that he gets from that food grows and grows and grows all, all the time. And, and, it's, and it has a tremendous, tremendous uh, positive energy and hashpah on, on his nesham. The more one puts into the ruchnius of one's food, the more what it actually sustains and gives a person spiritual, spiritual life. By the malachim, where they don't have, obviously, any bani, and they don't have any such an activity as physical eating, but nevertheless, they do have an obligation also, so to speak, of spiritual kind of eating. That also applies to, to them. And that's what, that's what this lechem abirim is. This is the food that the malachim eats. And that was the, the tremendous men's level of the man, that most of it was completely spiritual, which has a hashpah primarily on the neshama. And a little bit, a small percentage of it, was the physical nutrients and, and vitamins and minerals that were needed by the body to, to, to survive. Now, in our Pasha, it says that the quality of, of the man was there was lechem, was bread that said about it in the Pasuk, lechem in Hashemayim. This was bread that came down straight from heaven. In Sefer Bamidbar, what does it say about the man? It says, v'tochanoi v'orechayim. They ground it in the mills, v'osu eisoi ugois. And they made it into cakes. Those cakes that are mentioned here, the intention is, there was, was uh, the dough. Before they, before they baked it. They saw their needed to actually bake the man in order to make it edible for, for themselves. Now, from these words that they ground it in a, in a millstone, in other words, the man came down seemingly as, as raw, as raw material that they needed to actually work with it. If so, how could we even Think about the fact 
that this is spiritual, spiritual food that the malachim uh, uh, ate. And yet now you tell me that it came down even as, as wheat, that they had to grind it and, and prepare it and make dough and bake it. What kind of spirituality is, is, is that? How can that be considered the food of, of angels? So we have to understand that because the Zayar in Pasha Kasisa brings down that the Erev Rav, they didn't get money. It only came down for the B'nai Yisrael. And therefore, who are those people that had to eat, that had to eat the, the, uh, the, the mud? You know, it's, we, if we were getting spiritual food, the food of the Malachim, so why were they busy having to, who, who was it that was eating a bread that you had, a, uh, that you had to grind and, and, and make into dough and, and, and bake? That certainly doesn't sound like the mud we've, we've come to, to know and love. So based on, on what we're saying, we can perhaps explain. You know, the Gemara in, in Masechus Nazir says as follows, Amorav Yechel, Yechel says, how do you understand the Pesach? The Pesach says, Ki Yesharim Hashem. The ways of HaKadosh Baruch Hu are absolutely straight. Tzadikim Yelchubam. The Tzadikim walk in their ways. Urishoyim Urikashlubam. And the Rishoyim, unfortunately, they trip up. They get lost along the way in, in, in this situation. Right? So, and, and, and the, he brings a marshal, an analogy, to two people that they both roasted their Paschal lambs that come in Pesach. One ate it for the purpose of the mitzvah. And one eat it just as a bribe place to stuff his face and eat as much as he possibly, possibly could. He says, the one who ate it l'shem mitzvah. So there it says, v'tzadikim yelchubah. Tzadikim will walk in the way. And that's, and the one who ate l'shem achilagasa just to stuff his face. There it says, u'poishin koshubah. Those who do have errors will be tripped up by, by them. So too, we have the same concept by the man. We can say that tzaddikim, when they ate the man, they was able to zero and they were able to 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 get from the spiritual component of of the of of the food. But the rishayim, the rishayim who wanted the physical, so yeah, you got the physical. You go here, take the wheat and go grind it and go make flour and go knead it and bake it and and enjoy enjoy your food, enjoy your your physical your physical food. And therefore, straight away, carries on the Gemara and says, says, Oi dochu bamadoicha. Or that a, that a grind it in a, in a, in a, in a pestle mora. Says Rabbi Yunam Marav. And some say, it's Shavchom of Rabbi Hanina. Milame, this teaches us. Sheyorad lem Yisrael imamon tachshite noshim. That together, with the man came down all kinds of beautiful perfumes. Dava shinidak something which is ground with a pestle of, of more that came down also. And Rashi says, what's this takshite nashim? Says basha basha basamim, various kind of spices. Shaheim doichas from duch which are grounded with a pestle of mora. And which women use to beautify themselves. They should smell sweet to their to their husbands. We know that tzaddikim don't uh, emit any kind of a bad odor. They give them a sweet uh, odor. As the Archaim, in fact, says in Pashas uh, Tzav. And as is brought in the Zayar about a, a young child who was able by smelling the clothing of Rav Yitzchak and Rav Yudah to know that they hadn't yet said the the uh, the Krishma. In fact, the, uh, the Chayzim Lublin said about his Rebbe, of Shmelklam in Nicholsburg, that when he used to sit down and learn Torah, there came the most sweet smell, like the smell of Ganeden. But in order that people should notice it, he used to put uh, spices on the table, sort of drown out the, the smell. So Tzadikim only give off a good smell. But those Roshoyim, who intended when, by eating the man 
just to the physical part of it, so they caused even to their bodies that it should be so physical, and therefore they had this terrible, terrible, uh, uh, bad smell that came from their body, and therefore they needed the summon to cover up that rotten smell, and and their wives also, which were similarly, unfortunately, like like them in their actions, also needed. That's why. That's why with the man fell these besamim because for the rishayim they needed to cover up the stench that came from their physical beings to to by by putting on these this uh, this makeup this uh, per, this perfume. The Gemara Numa uh, uh, explains the pasuk. I fed you the man in the desert, to make you suffer. So it's a discussion between Rav Ami and Rav Asi. One says, you cannot compare someone who knows what he's going to eat tomorrow to someone who doesn't know where his next meal is coming from. That was the suffering. And one says, no, you can't compare to someone who sees his food and eats it to someone who can't even see his food and eats it. Says Rav Yosef, we see from here an illusion that blind people eat and never ever get satisfied. Says Abaya, therefore someone who has a a, uh, a suda, he should eat it during the day where he can see his fruits. Now, Rav Yosef, we know, was, was blind. And he said, we see a remez that blind people never are satisfied. So the Beni Shchai writes in a Sefer Benayo, the reason why it says blind people and doesn't say, uh, 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 so why doesn't he talk about himself? A blind person. He uses it in the general term. Because if you would say a blind person, it would seem that every blind person can never be satisfied. And that he also never is satisfied by, by his, uh, by, by his foods. Right? And often things that need to be in the plural are said in single. Like Yaakov says, Vahili, I have an ox and, and a dunk. It's Derek Heretz. To talk about many, many oxen as, as one, right? Like someone says to, to his friend, uh, uh, at night, the, the rooster crows. It's not just one rooster, it's many, many rooster. So he says blind people as a collective that we'd assume that all blind people are, cannot be satisfied by their, by their, by their food. But it's not true. Someone who's a tzaddik, even though He's a blind person. He gets tremendous, tremendous, tremendous benefits from his food. Because by tzaddik it says, tzaddik oichel A tzaddik eats and is satisfied. It doesn't say his body is satisfied. Nafshay, his neshama. Because since his whole uh, connection to food is mostly the ruchnis of it, is mostly the spirituality of it. So of course he gets tremendous satisfaction from his food because he's being supported, he's being, he's being sustained by the spirituality of the food. And therefore, even Rabbi Yosef who was blind, he did eat and he was, and he was uh, satisfied. And therefore the suffering that, uh, that, uh, happened by the Achila of Man was only for those people who were ashamed and wanted only the physical element of the food, but for those tzaddikim who wanted the spirituality, there for them it was pure, pure joy. This is one one point nine high FM. The program is told to soul. We'll be back in a moment with a halachic segment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on one hundred one point nine high FM. One one point nine Chai FM. This is all this all back on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kodesh Parshas B'Shalach Tov Shin Pei Gimel. This week, of course, the week of Shiras Hayam. The week we'll be seeing the great song that the Jewish nation sang at Kriyas Yamsuf. And but uh, just as we always do at this point, just to give you the details that are necessary for this coming Shabbos. So today, there's the Shem this afternoon. The earliest time for lighting candles today is at 5.36. 5.36 is your earliest time. And again, it's a goal. It's something we should reach for, something we should try to achieve to start Shabbos as early as, as we can. Get those candles together, get the house organized, get the food on the platter, get oneself 
in a framework and a frame of mind one is now ready to accept the Kedusha Sashabas at that at that point. If you can't make that time, then the latest time for candlelighting this week is at 6.41, 19 minutes before 7. That's the absolute latest time. Again, after that, one really should not be doing anything unless it's an absolute uh, emergency, but otherwise we regard that as the latest time for being able to do any kind of work on Friday afternoon. Although, as I say, many communities accept the standard Johannesburg time for accepting Shabbos, which is quarter past six, which is when many communities already daven uh, mincha and begin the, the Kabbalat, the Kabbalat Shabbat. And once your community has gotten already to uh, the end of the Chadoy, to Mizmashir, that already binds you to accept Shabbos as part of the, as part of the, uh, the, the community. The uh, Shkia is at one minute to seven. Six fifty-nine is is sunset. So if you want to be able to say Mayrev and and the Shema before you sit down to your to your repast, so all you have to do is wait till about seventy minutes past seven. Seven seventeen is already night, and you can say the Shema, the full the full Shema, fulfill the Torah mitzvah of of saying the, the Shema and then you can sit down and as always enjoy your amazing repast, your amazing Sudas Shabbos together with your family and, and loved ones and, and some good food and some good and some good zamiras and to good return, maybe a nice a nice uh, little drink in order to sort of get one really into the into the uh into the Avira, to the atmosphere, into the Kedusha of of Shabbos. Tomorrow of course we lane Pasha's Bishalach, Bishalach the dramatic Pasha of the miracle of Kriyas Yamsuf and the Shiras Hayom and then the miracle of the Mon and ends off with the war against Amalek and of course the Haftarah is the famous Haftarah of the Shiras Devarah, the song that Devarah sang celebrating the victory of the Jewish nation over the massive armies of, of Aram, of, of Sisra. And, uh, and that sort of goes so together so beautifully with the, the Parsha. And the Shabbos proceeds. A beautiful Shabbos. Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night at 7.31, one minute after half past uh, uh, seven. And of course, as I mentioned, Tubushvat, please God, will be on Sunday night and Tuesday, whatever your community, whatever your customs are regarding uh, Tubushvat. So Sunday night would be the night to to do whatever it is that is your custom to to do. So we've been speaking in the last few weeks about the concept of of bishul of cooking. We spoke last week about the concept of the different vessels, the klirishan, the first vessel which is standing on the fire, and the klisheni which it's transferred to from the fire, and the klishlishi which is even one removed from from uh, from that. And therefore, based on a very very practical level. If one, let's say, would want to make tea on on Shabbos, a cup of tea, a nice cup, as they say, and you'd like to do it using a a tea bag, so you would have to, if it's permitted at all, you'd have to do that in a kli sheet. In other words, you'd have to pour the water, the hot water, from the urn or wherever you have it, into one cup, and that will become the klisheni. And from there, you'd have to pour that into a second cup. That will become the, the klishlishi. And into that cup, so then it will be permitted to put the, the tea, the tea bag. And it would seem that it will be necessary, uh, really one should have allowed this in, in a klisheni, because you already said that a klisheni generally doesn't doesn't cook, right? Based on the principle we mentioned last week, that no real significant cooking takes place in a, in a klisheni. So why do we make you do it in a klisheni? So basically, again, based on what we said, those things that are called kaleha bishul, those things that get cooked very, very easily, so we say their cooking can take place even in a klisheni. Now, there are many who are quite worried that uh, uh, tea leaves are in fact 
fall into that category of kalea bishul, things that are cooked very, very uh, easily, and therefore we would necessitate, in terms of that situation, we would necessitate doing it in a, in a krislishi. However, there are other things that are important to discuss over here also. There are some that hold that Chazal uh, forbade putting into a klisheni any kind of food that hasn't yet been cooked because it looks like it's being it's being cooked. And Magnavram says that the Mishnah Bur brings down in in Shingud Ches Lamadalit. And therefore, if someone would want to prepare tea on Shabbos, so he has to do it. If if it's going to be mutter at all, he has to do it in a kli in a klishu. However, there are many, many of our contemporary poskim who have been even stricter and actually paskind that since that we see that even in a kli shlishi, still, when you put a tea bag into a kli shlishi, so the, the liquid turns the color of tea, and when you taste it, it has the taste of, of tea that comes from that tea bag into the water, even in a kli shlishi. And he says that clearly in, indicates that there was some type of a cooking taking place with those key, with those tea leaves, even in a kli in a kli shlishi, and that and that and that tea leaves somehow fall into an exceptional category of being extremely sensitive to being cooked, even in a kli in a kli shlishi, and therefore many many of the prominent uh, uh, authorities forbid even placing a tea bag even into a kli into a kli uh, 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 right but most of the poiskim it's sort of a a general principle too that as a general rule there is no prohibition of cooking in in a kli in a kli slishi. and they they would they maintain that in uh, in any in any event it will be permitted to put a food that has not yet been cooked generally into a cli, into a klishlishi. That's one aspect over here. In addition, we see that even in a klishlishi, the fact that we see that there's both color and taste that emanates from the, from the, from the tea leaves, so they, the, those who want to be maker maintain that that's not necessarily an indication that cooking is taking place. It's a, they say it's a fact that even if I would take a tea bag and put it into uh, a temperature of let's say just forty, just forty degrees, which really are not able to cook anything, you'd still get. A taste and a coloring out of those those tea leaves. So therefore, they want to say that it's permissible to place a tea bag into hot water that's in a kli in a klishlishi. Now, obviously, if one prepared from before Shabbos a, a liquid, what we call a, a a tea a tea essence, so that you'd be allowed to pour. Into the hot water that's in a kli, that's in a klisheni, because that liquid's uh, uh, essence, right? Of course, is not kali habishal. It's really, it's already been been hooked, uh, uh, cooked, very uh, gotten taste and 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 smell out of the out of the tea bag, and therefore it's like in a liquid that I could pour into a into a cliche. Okay, we'll come back with some final comments in a moment. This is one one point nine. The program is Soul for Soul and this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. We're back on your radio air Just with us a few closing remarks. We are talking about making tea on on Shabbos. So we said that if you prepare before Shabbos a sort of concentrate 
of, of a liquid tea. So we said you could pour that into a, into hot water in a klisheni on Shabbos because that liquid essence is not kaliatip shu, and therefore pouring it into a cup does not look like an act of, of, uh, of, 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 uh, of cooking. However, there are those, even then, who are careful uh, in, in terms of the issue of coloring liquids, and, and therefore they would pour the tea essence into a klishlishi, and on top of that, pour the, the hot water from the klisheni, because in that way, the, the water is just joining with the tea essence, and according to everybody, there's no problem of, of coloring, of dyeing the, the, the liquid. Now, if in the middle of Shabbos, that sort of liquid uh, tea essence uh, was finished, and all that's left is the tea leaves without any any liquid, so you'd be allowed to pour more boiling water on them straight from the the urn into the the uh, into that case, which is already considered to be a klisheni, and from that you could pour the water onto the pour the water into klisheni, pour that onto the tea tea leaves and be able on Shabbos to actually make more uh, a tea essence for oneself on on uh, on, on Shabbos. And, uh, you know, that, that way you have a never-ending supply of, of, uh, of, of tea if you just keep pouring water from a klisheni over the, of the tea leaves. And then you don't have to wear, worry at all about Bishel, because again, the, the tea leaves already were cooked on, on Erev, and Erev Shabbos, and there's no longer any, uh, uh, relevance to the prohibition of cooking, of cooking at, at all. As regards this, the subject of separation, where the water is, is coming out of the tea bag, that's a separate discussion. It is problematic, but please God, when we do the, the laws of, of Boira, We'll, we'll mention that subject, that subject again. Well, that's really all the time we're going to have today to really discuss the subject. Please God, next week we'll carry on with other very, very relevant, uh, uh, subjects like pouring water into a, a cup that isn't dry, which is also a very, very important and relevant discussion, but we'll leave that for next week. In the meantime, just want to wish each and every one of you a beautiful, satisfying, inspiring, growth-provoking Shabbos, and that all together we should truly celebrate Shabbos in the best way possible to each and every one of the members of the Radio family. A good Gavensh to Shabbos.